A word of caution. This episode contains depictions of murder that may be disturbing to listeners. Discretion is advised for anyone under the age of 13. A young mother living in North Carolina dies in a suspicious drowning accident in her bathtub, but the medical examiner can't determine the exact cause of death. Just a few years later, the woman's husband, who has relocated to Pennsylvania, loses another wife when she dies in the family hot tub. Could someone really be brazen enough to murder two spouses within a few short years and expect to get away with it? There is much to love about North and South Carolina, but the two states have also had their fair share of violent and senseless crimes over the years. From murders on the Blue Ridge Parkway, in the heart of big cities or sleepy college towns, and along the coastal waters, some of these stories may be new to you. Some may have happened in your town. Some may involve people that are still missing to this day, but all will leave you remembering to always be vigilant about the people you meet and the places you go. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for True Crime in the Carolinas. Episode 48, Two Wives, Two Suspicious Deaths Involving Water. People die in accidents every day. Children lose their parents, Partners lose their spouses and significant others. But when a person loses two or more spouses to tragic accidents, law enforcement starts to get suspicious. This was the case with a man named Tim Boskowski, who lost two different wives to drowning accidents at their family homes, all within four years of each other. The first death occurred in Greensboro, North Carolina in 1990. I first learned about this case after seeing it on an episode of Forensic Files. The story was also featured recently on the show Living with a Serial Killer on the Oxygen Network. Tim and Mary Elaine Buskowski, who went by Elaine, lived with their three young children in Greensboro. Tim had started a company to make crowns and bridges for local dentists. They also ran a miniature golf course and ice cream shop together. On November 4, 1990, Tim called 911. He told the operator that he had found his wife Elaine unresponsive in the bathtub of their apartment. She was pronounced dead upon arrival. Police were suspicious immediately. Tim told the responding officer that his wife was basically a lush and that she had returned home that evening intoxicated after attending a church event. But the bathtub where Elaine supposedly drowned was dry, and the only thing inside it was a washcloth and vomit. Tim claimed Elaine had vomited after he tried to give her CPR, and that he had laid her forward over the edge of the tub, where there was a metal track, as an attempt to get the water out of her lungs. But there was also no sign of water anywhere on the bathroom floor, which one would expect if a person had been taken out of a full bathtub and given life-saving measures. The shower track was also completely dry. The investigating officer interviewed for the Forensic Files episode said she did an experiment in her own bathtub, which was built the same way the Boskowski's was, and found that her head would not submerge in the water once it was full. The autopsy showed no water in Elaine's airways or any alcohol in her system. She had three parallel lines marking her lower abdomen, which corroborated Tim's story about placing her over the edge of the tub. She had no alcohol in her system. The medical examiner ruled Elaine's cause of death as undetermined, which prevented the police from being able to charge Tim. Tim, 
who was 36 years old at the time, took the proceeds from Elaine's $25,000 life insurance policy and moved to Pennsylvania. Seven months after Elaine died, he met a woman named Mary Ann Fullerton at a Catholic singles club. They were married in June of 1993, and by all accounts, Mary Ann quickly assumed the role of doting mother to her stepchildren, two boys and one daughter. Then, tragedy struck again, almost four years to the day of the death of Tim's first wife. Eighteen months after the wedding, on November 7, 1994, Tim found Mary Ann unconscious in the family hot tub. He told police they had been in the hot tub around 11 p.m. Both were drinking beer. According to him, they were in there over an hour, which is a pretty long time to be in water of that temperature, especially if alcohol is being consumed. He said he left to take a shower and returned 20 minutes later to find Marianne immersed in the water. He called 911 and told them he had pulled his wife from the hot tub and was attempting CPR. She was pronounced dead at the scene. Police immediately noticed some unusual details at the scene of the drowning. Marianne's glasses were found at the bottom of the hot tub. Tim had a scratch on his neck and multiple scratches on his torso, shoulder, and one hand. Tim actually said, I hope they don't try to pin this on me, to one of the responding officers on the scene, which drew suspicion. As police waited for results of Marianne's autopsy, they learned Tim had taken a $100,000 life insurance policy out on his wife using cash gifts from their wedding. He took a polygraph test and failed it. They began looking into the death of Tim's first wife, Elaine. They couldn't help but notice some similarities. The two women strongly resembled each other. They both wore thick eyeglasses. They were both devoted to their religion. Both women had been unhappy with their marriage at the time of their deaths. And Tim had told multiple acquaintances and neighbors that both women were alcoholics close to the time of their deaths. Marianne's autopsy did confirm that she was intoxicated. Her blood alcohol level was 0.22, over twice the legal limit. She also had multiple bruises on her arms, upper back, legs, and neck. But the Allegheny County coroner ruled that she was strangled and died of asphyxiation due to compression of the neck. Her intoxication would have prevented her from being able to fight back. The Allegheny Police Department reached out to officials in Greensboro, who took another look at Elaine's case from 1990. Police learned that Tim and Elaine's daughter, Sandy, had told a neighbor that she had heard her parents arguing the night her mom died. She had not told anyone that at the time of her mother's death, possibly due to her dad's influence. The medical examiner in North Carolina took another look at Elaine's autopsy, considering the evidence given that Tim was likely in the bathroom when Elaine died. He determined those track marks on her abdomen could have been from Tim pushing Elaine down on the tub, forcing the air out of her lungs. She vomited into the tub as a result. This also explained why there was no water found in her lungs during the autopsy. Tim Boskowski was arrested and charged with the murder of Elaine Boskowski. He was convicted of the crime in October of 1996 and sentenced to life in prison. Before we continue, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. I've always enjoyed writing fiction, but I didn't really get serious about it until I was in my 30s. After submitting to the WOW Flash Fiction Contest a few times, I was thrilled when I placed as a runner-up with my piece titled In the Depths. 
WOW still hosts a quarterly writing contest every three months, and I highly recommend entering it. The entry fees are minimal, and you can also purchase a critique to get feedback on your story once the contest concludes. The mission of this contest is to inspire creativity, great writing, and provide well-rewarded recognition to contestants. The contest is open globally, age is of no matter, and entries must be in English. And the best part is that the contest is open to all genres, from romance to science fiction to thriller suspense to literary fiction. The Fall 2022 Flash Fiction Contest with literary agent Savannah Brooks with KT Literary closes on November 30th. To learn more, visit wow-womenonwriting.com and click on the contest tab. And now, let's get back to the show. After being convicted in the death of his first wife, Elaine, Tim Buskowski went on trial for the murder of his second wife, Mary Ann, in the spring of 1999. More incriminating details came out at the trial, and details from Elaine's death were allowed to be shared with the jury. The neighbor who told Greensboro police that daughter Sandy had seen Tim in the bathroom with Elaine also shared that son Todd, who was five at the time of his mom's death, had actually seen his dad holding his mother down in the bathroom. Todd told the Oxygen Network he was shocked when that detail was shared because he'd had no prior memory of it. Prior to Marianne's death, Tim had been telling neighbors that his wife was a drunk and not to be surprised if she hurt herself falling down the stairs. He gave conflicting stories to police about the night Marianne died. In some, he said they were having a romantic night in the hot tub. In others, he said they'd been arguing. Police had also found a small plastic apparatus near the hot tub, normally used as a barrier when giving CPR. Why would Tim have used that, and how did he have time to go find a device like that if his wife was having a medical emergency? Marianne's autopsy had shown fingerprint marks around her neck, internal bleeding at the neck, and more than 50 bruises on her body. Three jailhouse inmates from Allegheny County testified Tim had told them he'd been stupid to kill two wives in the same way. Tim Buskowski's defense attorney, James Erb, claimed ongoing medical issues were the real cause of Marianne's death. He said that her enlarged heart, high blood pressure, and fatty liver brought on by years of heavy drinking contributed to her accidentally drowning in the hot tub at their home. He pointed to the fact that she had two drunk driving arrests on her record from the 1980s, and that she had fallen over a table at a 1992 Christmas party of a friend. But Herb also said Marianne was a good woman who kept a clean house and mothered Boskowski's children by a previous marriage. The two had met at a Roman Catholic church group. The prosecutor suggested that Marianne had hoped to get pregnant, and then police theorized Tim did not want any additional children. Another neighbor testified on the stand that the marriage was strained, and that Marianne was considering leaving Tim if circumstances didn't improve. Tim was convicted of Marianne's murder and sentenced to death. The decision was thrown out and commuted to life in prison after the state Supreme Court determined prosecutors had violated an order that Tim not be extradited. In 2018, he was granted parole in the North Carolina case, but was sent to Pennsylvania to begin the life sentence in Marianne's case. When Marianne's aunt, Ruth Schumann, learned of her niece's death, she said she knew immediately that Tim Buskowski had been involved. She had always felt uneasy about the marriage, 
especially after hearing how Elaine Boskowski had supposedly died in a bathtub accident back in North Carolina. As a way to help process her grief, Schumann began taking copious notes of phone conversations and court proceedings as the Allegheny police began their investigation of Tim. Her research turned into a true crime book titled Please Don't Kill Mommy, which was co-authored with Fanny Weinstein and published in paperback format in 2001 by St. Martin's Press. She told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that in the days following Marianne's death and funeral, more and more members of their immediate family began to suspect Tim. They realized they had all been told different stories about how Tim's first wife, Elaine, had died. Schumann began contacting anyone she could from Elaine and Tim's past to see if she could get more information. I was just so involved in trying to find out the past of this man, she told the newspaper. You just tend to believe what people tell you. That's the problem. They appear to be nice and honest. As a footnote to this case, Tim and Elaine's son, Todd, has been interviewed in the past few years by Forensic Files and the Oxygen Network. He said that once he was older and received military training, he began to realize the ways in which his mother and stepmother died could not have happened the way his father said they had. He said he believed Marianne had begun to uncover things about his father because she had been trying to set up a meeting with his mother's sister and a close friend. She said there were things she wanted to discuss with the two women. Marianne died before she had the chance to follow through on those meetings. Todd also said that in 2007, his father told him, I am responsible for your mother's death. He's never admitted the same in Marianne's death, possibly because he's still hopeful he'll get released from prison on appeal. Reading about the details of this case reminded me of the murder of Tony Hinthorn, a physician and mother who supposedly fell to her death while hiking on an anniversary trip with her husband in the Rocky Mountain National Park in 2012. When investigators started looking into the death of Tony, they realized Harold had also lost his first wife, Lynn, in a tragic accident in 1995. He claimed she had been underneath their car trying to help him fix a flat tire when the car fell on her, crushing her to death. Lynn's death had been ruled accidental, but once investigators took a second look in comparison to what had happened to Tony, they realized Harold Hinthorne had a history of isolating his wives from their friends and family, lying about being a wealthy fundraiser, and taking large insurance policies out on his wives with accidental death clauses. If you're interested in learning more about this case, Hulu recently featured it in a true crime documentary titled Wild Crime. This brings us to the conclusion of True Crime in the Carolinas. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd also like to support the show in a small way, you can buy me a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com backslash Renee Robertson. I currently don't receive any compensation for this podcast, so every little bit helps me continue producing new content. We're also now on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So please like our pages and get started on a discussion of the missing people profiled on the show. Do you know of a missing persons case in North or South Carolina that you think should be covered? Email me at missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com with any details you can share. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have there at wow-womenonwriting.com. 
Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Daniel Robertson. Thanks so much for listening.